If you've ever been studying through the scriptures, reading through the scriptures, listening to a message, and suddenly you realize God gets a hold of your heart and you begin thinking, you know what, I'm not sure that I have the right perspective on that issue. God's got a different perspective than I have. That's kind of what happened as I was reading through and studying through Titus chapter 3. I wasn't expecting to be there. I wasn't expecting to have the issues that I had as I studied and as I grappled through this. But as I began studying Titus chapter 3 in the environment of our modern day culture, I began to wonder, what is God's mission for me? What does God have for me to do? More than that, who am I in the midst of all this? And what Paul is going to do through Titus here is he's going to get into these Christian believers' lives and he's going to say, remember who you are. Remember who you are as a Christian. Remember who you are as the church of Jesus Christ. Remember what your task and mission is. Now I say the reason that that is something that really touched me this week is I had to take a step back and say, of course I know who I am. I've gone through seminary. Of course I know who I am. I preach in this book every week. But when we think about some of the things that creep into our lives, when we think about the fact that we live in the United States of America, some of you probably are going to get mad at me. Hopefully none of you will leave. And some of you probably won't like what you hear because I didn't like what I heard when I first started thinking about it because I love the United States of America. If you don't love our country and you just are despairing about everything going on in it, spend a few years living somewhere else. I mean, I live for a year, year and a half in Quebec, Canada. It's different than it is in the United States of America. I miss being home. We lived for three years in Togo, West Africa. I really missed being in America. I remember the first day I got back to America, and this is my materialism and my first world issues as I looked at things. But I remember getting back and walking through a Walmart and just seeing all that stuff again. Because we couldn't find any of that in West Africa. And I just realized God has just abundantly blessed us. But the problem as we get into Titus chapter 3 is often we have had a mixing of American political idealism and Christianity to the point where we think this Bible was written solely for and to American United States citizens and Christians, and it wasn't. In fact, most of you know this, but it wasn't written in English when we first got it. And we're about to go into the Easter season, and we've seen so many paintings of Jesus Christ going through the Passion Week, and Jesus Christ when he's resurrected, and a lot of them were painted by... European artists, and they make Jesus Christ look like us, and he didn't look quite like some of us. He looked more like Palestinian folks. And you see the reality of all that going on, you think, well, you know, okay, I get that. But sometimes we don't get the fact that American political ideals are not necessarily Christian principles for living. And so Paul's going to bring all that in in a way that's going to challenge us because this is crucial instruction for us today. Paul is moving from chapter 2, how we ought to live together as the church, to chapter 3, how do we live in the society we're in? And remember, when we looked at the beginning of this passage in Titus chapter 1, Crete wasn't a great place to be living. You remember what they talked They said, you know, the Cretans are what? You look back here and it says, you know, they were... Liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. That's what, that's what they were known for. That's what their culture was known for. And you look and say, that's horrendous. But now take a step back. Take an honest look from the outside in 
And what is the United States of America known for today? We are struggling with woke culture, LGBTQ philosophy that's being pushed upon us day in and day out. The truths of this book are being assailed on an everyday basis. And the question is now, how do we as Christians live in a society like that? For 150 years, we were spoiled in Christianity here in the United States of America. Basically, we had a Judeo-Christian ethic here. And people appreciated the Word of God. And people had respect for God's Word and God's people. That's not the day that we live in anymore. In fact, for decades that has been changing. Our country has been rapidly declining. And practical atheism and moral relativism have taken off. You say, what in the world? Those are large, large topics. Practical atheism. There may be a God, but I'm living for me. You see that in our society? And then moral relativism. Why can we look and decide what marriage? So we, we, we redefine marriage. Why? Because it's not relative. It's not absolute. We redefine the roles of men and women. Why? God didn't do that. We did. It's part of our moral relativism. And the whole debate over abortion and all of those things that plague our nation comes about because people look and say, well, we think it's okay with us. And as Christians, what does that do to you? You look at where our nation used to be and now where it is today. And as Christian folks, often we're alarmed. Are you not alarmed? Are you not alarmed at what our politicians are pushing in Washington? Are you not alarmed when you see what happens in our courts? Things that used to be common sense no longer happen in our courts. And you wonder if the rule of law is even working in our nation at times. And you look at it, what about the agendas that they're pushing on? If you're not woke, you're in trouble in certain sectors. You can lose your job. Stuff that used to be hidden behind the closet is now openly pushed in our nation. And the question becomes, what is our role in all of that? What does God expect the church to be doing? Because there are folks that will step up and tell you what the church ought to be doing. And we're going to get into an election cycle really soon. And there's lots of folks that are going to tell you, the church of God needs to do these things. Make sure it's coming from here. Paul is about to tell us what the church of God needs to do in a culture that's not following God's principles. And how we're supposed to act. And what we're supposed to do. And the problem is, as Christians often... We ought to be, and we are. Are you not saddened by where our our nation has gone? We ought to be saddened by that. But the problem is it usually doesn't stop there. We go from being saddened to being irritated, frustrated, and as Christians, sometimes angry about what's happening. Now, we ought to be angry over sin. But we get angry not only over sin, but if we're not careful, we become angry at the sinners, Just start listing off some of the politicians that you don't care for. I can hear it in folks' voices. And as I looked at that, I thought, oh, God, forgive me because I've heard it in my voice. How are we supposed to react to these people whose philosophies are so much different than the Word of God? What is our mandate and what is our mission and how should it affect us on a day-to-day basis? Again, we can get so caught up in politics that we get out of Scripture. We take our scriptural principles and politics just runs our life. You know, one of the things that was really indicative for me when I looked at this this week, when I started asking, God, am I living biblically or am I living politically as a conservative? And is there a difference? And I remember, and I don't 
recommend much of what he was like and much of what his character was like. But I remember a little while back, about a year, year and a half ago, when Rush Limbaugh passed away. And the conservatives around the nation were just aghast. Who's going to tell us what to think? Who's going to tell us what's going on in Washington? And I started thinking, and you know what? I was just bummed out that day. I heard it on the radio. I didn't listen to him a lot because he got into things and he went areas I didn't care for. But when I did listen to him, I thought, well, at least politically, he's conservative like I want to be. And I was sad. I was sad for a couple of days. And I didn't even know him. But I got caught up in all of that. And we look at these things, and part of the reason we get caught up, and we're getting to the passage, so hang with me. Part of the reason we get caught up in all these things is we want a better world for our children and our grandchildren, don't we? We want the world that we grew up in. It wasn't perfect, but I'll take the world I grew up in as a child more than the world that my grandkids are growing up in. And we want that for them desperately. The question is, what's God up to? Does God not know what's going on in the United States of America? And we read this book, and some of you, and I'll be honest, some of you pushed me into Revelation. I wasn't excited about getting in there. It's a hard study. I I spent hours and hours in here. But when we read this book, what does it tell us is going to happen? Is everything going to get better and better and the Lord's going to return? No, it's going to get worse. So why are we expecting the United States to get better and better and then the Lord's going to return? We're not outside of the realms of this book. And so we look at all these things, and the question becomes then, what do I do? Because we have to realize that as Christians, it's not our job. And some of you listen closely, because I don't want you to misquote me. But it is not our job to impose Christian values on unbelievers. So, oh, now he's a, now my pastor's a heretic. I've got to find a new church. But where do you ever find Jesus Christ telling folks, impose Christian values on unbelievers. What is our job? What are we supposed to do? Has it worked in the past? Anybody old enough here to remember Prohibition? I'm not. Did it work? Y'all are from, many of you are from this area, from the hills of North Carolina, from the mountains of North Carolina. What industry took off in the mountains of North Carolina during Prohibition? Some of you have bootlegger grandparents. I know they're out there. Why? Because it didn't work. Because if it's not in the heart, you can't oppose it from the outside and expect it to change. So what's our job as Christians when we look? We can't allow our thoughts and our plans and our time and our money and our energy being spent on trying to superficially create a Christian America that's not there. That's not our job. Now, you'll hear it is. When are the churches in America going to go protest in Washington? Is that what Christ called us to? Now, if you have time and you want to go protest some things that shouldn't be happening, okay. But that's not the job of the church. That's not what Christ called us to. And we, we weaken our spiritual mission. We obscure our priority of proclaiming the gospel of salvation. And we become confused about our spiritual citizenship when we get caught up in this world. Where is your citizenship? And again, I'm not embarrassed to tell people I am a citizen of the United States of America. But that's secondary. My citizenship is in glory. And there ought to be a whole different perspective on how we live and how we move and how we do what we do. Because we are supposed to be listening to our king. 
our Redeemer. We sang about our Redeemer. We're going to sing more about our Redeemer because part of who we are, we need to understand all of these things and we need to decide, am I going to be a citizen of heaven? Or am I going to let myself get sidetracked? Now again, I'm not saying that you don't stand up for the truth. We ought to stand up for the truth. But Paul is going to tell us specifically as we get into this passage, what does it take? What are we called to do? Jesus Christ told believers and taught through Paul and through others and Peter, preach, teach, and witness to the transforming power of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ and live our lives as an evidence of that. That's what we're called to do. And some of us are so busy being politically involved that we never get to being spiritually involved. And the problem with that is it doesn't matter if you are a politician, if you are a lawyer, if you are a convict, if you are a mechanic, or if you are an engineer, if you don't know Christ, it doesn't matter if you're moral. You'll spend eternity in hell. And our mission is much more important than just taking our priorities and pushing them to the forefront of an agenda. Our mission is to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes lives. And the church of Jesus Christ in America, especially if we're not careful, we get sidetracked at times. And so Paul is going to tell us through Titus, this is what needs to be done. And he begins by saying, number one, remember your responsibilities. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil to no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. As we get into these reminders that we're going to have, again, we need to remind ourselves of the foundation that's here. The Holy Spirit is about to define what our obligations are in a pagan culture. We don't have to figure it out. He's going to tell us exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And in fact, he's going to tell us in many ways in this passage how we're supposed to do it. And we need to remember first and foremost that our work is in this world, but it's not of it. If you transform Washington tomorrow but never lead a soul to Jesus Christ, never give out the truth, never live Christ before other people, you failed. And Paul is looking and saying, we need to remember who we are and our true citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3, 2. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we love studying Revelation so much? We're working toward chapter 19, 20, 21, and 22. He's coming again. And we ought to be awaiting him. We ought to be excited about that because that's where our citizenship is going to be. Our focus in the meantime is to be on holy living and winning the loss for Christ. Following the example of Jesus Christ who said, I didn't come to be ministered to, but to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. We need to give our lives to bring people to Jesus Christ. And in the midst of that, in obedience to Jesus Christ, we need to remember Romans 12 too. Not to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. That by testing we may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 1 Peter 2.12, Peter said, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Our Christian duties from Romans 13. You remember when we got to Romans 13 when we were studying through the book of Romans? I, studied, I started Romans way before COVID came out. But by the time we got to Romans 13, what had happened? COVID. Restrictions. 
irritated me. Did they irritate you? Lord gave me the biggest blessing of my life this week, and then I had to go, no, it's not. I got to the hospital, and you know what they said finally at Part D? Masks are optional. I thought, hallelujah, I hate masks. And, and, but we were told we had to wear them. We were told all of these different things. And then we get to Romans chapter 13, verse 1, and it said, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. And you say, oh, except some of the things that our government is telling us we have to do right now. And I, I, I met with folks, and we struggled through that passage. What do we do with this? We have to look at these passages and say, unless what we're told to do violates scriptural principle, we're supposed to obey. I don't really care for some of the things coming out of Washington, do you? And yet, what's our responsibility to put ourselves underneath unless it violates what we're told to do in scripture? So we get to this word. Chapter 3, verse 1, remind. It's a word of command. It's an imperative. It's a word that means to call to mind what is already known. Have I told you anything that you didn't already know from Scripture yet this morning? Now, the application of it we may be struggling with, but is the principle new to us that we're supposed to obey the authorities that God has put in place? And Paul says here, remind them of this, and it's the cause to recall and to think about it again, is what the word means. Because we forget. We get involved. We get sidetracked. Sometimes we don't stay focused. And Paul said, your job, Timothy, is to remind folks of stuff that they might not want to be reminded of at times. How many of you want that job? You know, it's easy when you're reminding stuff of people that, yeah, don't forget there's dessert in the refrigerator. Everybody likes those reminders, you know, but when you remind somebody, oh, don't forget, you know, getting ready for bed on Thursday, don't forget the garbage has to go out tomorrow morning. Make sure you get up early enough to get it out there. Well, I don't really care for that reminder. I can remember that until I get up, I get out, and I watch the garbage truck pulling away, and the garbage is still in the garage. But in our Christian lives, there's the same thing. There's things that we need to be reminded of from time to time. And so here Paul says, here's the reminders. Number one, as we look at back at Titus chapter 3, verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Well, Paul, which rulers and authorities do we have to be submissive to? What does he say? He doesn't qualify that with an exception clause. He says, be submissive to rulers and authorities. Why? He already told us back in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Every authority has been placed thereby. Is your God in control or is he not? Sometimes don't we kind of forget that God's in control? Why would the people in Washington be in Washington today if God was in control? He wouldn't want that. Why would... We have the governor that we've got here in North Carolina. He keeps vetoing stuff that I'm all for. And again, we look at all those things and say, well, do I have to listen? And Paul says, remind them to be submissive to those rulers and to those authorities. And then, in case we don't get the idea, what do I mean by submissive? He says here later in the verse, be obedient. You know what it means to obey? It's not really in the, in, the, in the warp and woof of our freedom as Americans, is it? Tell me what I need to do, and I just want to obey. I want to do what I want to do because I'm free to do whatever I want to do. You know, there's laws out there. You want to find out how unfree you are? Just keep zipping up and down Spartanburg Highway at 65 miles an hour. 
I see free people all the time with blue lights behind them, and I keep thinking, oh, their, their day's ruined. Because there's rules, there's regulations, there's things we have to follow. And Paul looks, he says, be submissive, be obedient to those things. Again, the exception to that is if they tell you to do something that violates this book. You remember Peter and John? Sanhedrin calls them in after Pentecost and says, quit preaching Jesus Christ. Did they have to obey that? I love their answer to that. They didn't get really smart mouth, I don't think. But they look and it says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. But we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So we've been, This is our mandate to talk about Jesus Christ. We're going to keep doing it. That's where you've overstepped. And then he says, be submissive, be obedient, be ready for every good work. Now again, remember the context he's talking about, us in society. He said, be ready for every good work. Not speaking of reluctantly doing what we have to do in society, but looking for opportunities for Jesus Christ to shine in our testimonies. By doing what we're supposed to do when we're supposed to do it. By being eager to love and to serve others. We are to be good people. There should be nobody more interested in the needs of others than Christian folks. In fact, Galatians 6.10 says, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially those of the household of faith. We ought to take care of one another. And when we're done taking care of one another, there's people out there who need some care. And we ought to be looking for opportunities to show Jesus Christ to folks in our neighborhood by caring about them, by doing good to them, by being out there and being what Christ would have us to be. And then again, when we get into this whole, how are we going to treat society and the people in society who think differently than we do, who aren't following this book? You, know, you ever look and say, God, you know, Things would be a whole lot better in our country if you would just take out so-and-so. I know it's not my job, but you could do it. And sometimes we try to talk him into it. You know, there, there were times when we had a former Speaker of the House who will remain nameless that, I'm guilty. Thought, God, if you would just do something, get her out of there. And God said, not my timing yet. But you obey. You do what you're supposed to do. You be godly in the midst of that. And watch what I do when it's my time to do things. Now, that doesn't mean God's going to do things the way we want to, but he says here, speak evil of no one. The idea is to slander, to curse, to treat with contempt. And we often think about non-Christians doing that to Christian people. Do Christian people ever do that to non-Christian people who aren't following the truth? Because we expect unbelievers to be living like Christian, spirit, and dwelt people, and they won't. Did Paul expect unbelievers to live like Christians? He doesn't. You look at you. In fact, you read Romans chapter 1 and he says what? They are so corrupt, God gave them over to destroy themselves. But Paul wasn't worried about going after them. He said, God's going to take care of that. God's got that in control. And he said, don't be speaking evil. In fact, he goes a step further. It's like, Paul, come on, give me a break. But First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for all in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of our God, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. When was the last time you went through your political list of people that were just not your favorite people and you prayed for them? And you prayed that God would bring them to the knowledge of the truth. You know, I, I did that a little while back. I had to take a step back and say, did I really mean that? 
Because the antagonism was so, so deep. The frustration, almost the hatred was so deep because they didn't walk in the truth. And Paul said, when you think about folks like that, you pray for them. Paul said, pray for kings and all those who are in high position. When he sent that to Timothy, who was in high position? Nero. How would you love to live under Nero? You think we got it bad? And you didn't have any hope that, you know what, in two years we're going to vote Nero out of office. It didn't work that way. You either took him out or he stayed where he was. And Paul says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray. I want you to pray for the kings. Those who are in authority, those who are persecuting the church. Did Paul ever run afoul of the authorities? And Paul's saying, pray for those people because they need Christ. Is it any wonder that when he's in the Philippian jail, the jailer comes to Christ because Paul's attitude toward it was, I'm going to be obedient and let God take care of things. To the point that when God releases me from my chains through an earthquake, I'm going to stay put and I'm going to make sure the rest of them stay put too. And God used that. And God, if we will just follow God's rules, and if we will follow what God asks us to do, he's in control, he's got it. And then avoid quarreling. Is there anything other than maybe religion that leads to quarreling faster than politics? Faster than where the society's going? And I look at some of this stuff, and I'm like, come on, you can't tell me what the definition of a woman is anymore? From the depths of my soul, I want to argue with people about that. I can tell you, and I'm not all that bright. And yet, Paul says, you know, no, don't be quarreling. Don't be contentious. Live peaceable lives. Because, again, we have no right to think that believers, unbelievers are going to think like believers. They're not. We need to hold the truth. We need to teach the truth to our kids. We need to be what we ought to be in Jesus Christ. But if you think that you're going to take your values and impose them upon unbelievers who haven't turned to Christ, you're sadly mistaken. And you're wasting your time and efforts on something that shouldn't be done. He said, furthermore, in that, be gentle. And the idea is gracious and forbearing. Have a sweet reasonableness. How reasonable do you feel toward people out there who don't hold your position? Again, I share this with you. I kind of looked at it and said, Lord, maybe we should just skip this passage and go to Easter. Because it stepped all over my toes. Because I got issues with those folks. And I keep thinking, do I care about those folks? Do I care about their souls? Because one day this political nonsense is going to be all over. A revelation is going to come to fruition. And eternity is at stake. And when God looks at us and tells us how we ought to act, he's telling us eternity is at stake. You say, how do you know we're headed there in the passage? We probably won't get there until next week, but we're headed there. And then he says, show perfect courtesy toward all people. And the idea there is gentleness of attitude and behavior. Don't be belligerent with people who are being belligerent with you. There is no Christian belligerence that's okay. Now, you need to stand on the truth, but you've got to do it in a gracious way. You've got to do it as God's called us to do it. So all of these things, and Paul says, you know what, Titus, you're going to have to remind people of these things because all that other creeps in. And good, solid, wonderful Christian people, they've gone off the deep end on some of those things. And Paul's saying, remind them of why we're here and what we're doing. Then, in case that isn't enough, he goes to his next point. Remember who you were. Chapter 3 and verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. 
rather than going after unbelievers and saying how wicked and evil they are, Paul says, I want you to take a moment first and remember who you used to be. You used to be just like them. You used to be lost in your thoughts, your self-interest, your selfish desires and passions. And Paul says, remember when you were that way because you were foolish and disobedient and led astray. We were just like them. Now, that's not to say that every believer has been involved in every idea and every sin that's out there. But every believer was just as depraved as they were until Jesus Christ cleansed them and redeemed them and brought them to himself. And Paul's saying, you need to remember this. He goes into some specific things here. He says, remember that you were once foolish. And again, the idea of foolish is the idea of being ignorant or uninformed. There was a day when you didn't understand the truth because spiritual things are only understandable by spirit-led people. The natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit because they are foolishness to him. And he said, that was a day. You ever talk to somebody about it? You say, how can I not get this? It's very simple. Marriage, genders, all of these things, abortion. It's very simple. How can they not get it? Because it's foolishness to them. They can't know it because it's spiritually discerned, which is going to take us back to our final point here, our mission and what we need to do if we're going to be doing something that's worthwhile. He said, not only were we foolish, we were disobedient. We were disobedient to God. We were sinners. You ever forget how sinful we were before we were saved? You know, I look at the folks in my neighborhood sometimes, and if I'm not careful, I become like the publican. Lord, thank you that I'm not like this guy. I'm not doing this. It's Sunday morning. There's a guy I love in my neighborhood, but he runs every Sunday morning at 7.30, and I'm on my way to church. I'm thinking, I bet he doesn't go to church. Thank you, Lord, that I'm on my way to that, that, This doesn't cut it. So remember, you used to be that way. You used to be uninformed. You used to be disobedient. You were led astray. You were deceived. Not only were you led astray, but slaves to various passions and pleasures. Go back to Romans. Either you are a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness, you don't get to be anything else. No, I'm an American, I'm free. Not when it comes to sin, you're not. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness, and there is no in-between. And remember the day when you were a slave to sin, and again, when Christ did that wonderful act of redemption in your heart. And then, just passing our days with malice and envy. And the idea of passing our days is simply spending our lives. And how do we spend it? In malice. That, wow, that's kind of a little bit brutal. What do you mean, Lord, by malice? Malice means evil. It's the vicious character that people can have of varying degrees. The unsafe person, Paul is saying, spends his life maliciously because he's only concerned with whom? With himself and his own. And the rest of y'all, good luck to you. And Paul looks and says, we were like that. Envy. We can't be satisfied with what we have. We always want more. Look around. If you want to test that sometime, unless you've got a brand new car, look at your car and then look at your neighbor who's got the model two years newer. Which one do you want? And I I look at those things, and it's it's simple that way, but I drive by these beautiful, palatial homes, and I think, what would it be like to have this home with all of this land and all of this peace? And then I need to be brought back to God's given me what he's given me. And it's natural for folks out there to live that way. Because that's all they have to live for. And we talked about it last week. They're not going to take it with them. But they're going to enjoy it every moment they have now, and they might as well, because for eternity, there's judgment coming unless they come to Christ. And so he finishes off by saying, we were once hated by others and hated one another. And again, it's a strong dislike for other people in favor of ourselves. 
that Paul is talking about here. So he says all that to say, and we're going to touch this a lot heavier next week as we get ready to go into the Passion Week and what's going on with Jesus Christ. So I'm going to come back to this, but he's like, remember not only who you were, but remember your salvation. You are who you are today because of Jesus Christ. Where would you be? If it were not for the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, you would be one of those folks out in society. But because of his grace and mercy, we are where we are today. You are a child of God, not because of who you are and how wonderful you are. And God looked down and said, I just can't go through eternity without him or her. But because of God's love and mercy and grace. And Paul said, as you deal with those folks out there who need Jesus Christ, who desperately need the gospel, remember, you wouldn't be who you are today without the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. So do they need a piece of your mind? Do they need to be ostracized by Christian folks? Do they need to be hated by us or do they need the gospel? And we don't often think that way because that's the devil's team out there and they're running rampant and we got to stop them. And we don't stop them unless we stop them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's where Paul's driving. And so we're going to look next week at what we have in Christ, but just very briefly to think about it this week. We are radically different from what we once were, solely because of God's kindness, his love, his mercy, the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit, of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and his grace. All of those things working in our lives, we're going to talk about those next week. That's what makes us different from the society out there. And that's what ought to make us respond to that society out there differently than they respond to us. All of that to bring us to the final thing, remember your mission. What is our mission then? If our mission isn't to impose all of our ethics, all of our Christian ideals upon an unsaved world, what is our mission? Look at verse 8. Paul says in verse 8, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. Paul said, here's your mission. You need to devote yourselves to good works. What is the greatest work that we've been given to do? What is our mandate? Go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things. You don't teach them until you go and make disciples out of them because it's not going to work. But you take the gospel to them. And Paul's looking and saying, here's your mission. Be careful to devote yourself to good works. And ultimately, that first work is Give out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you can't save those folks, but you can give them the gospel. You can't personally save them, but you can pray for their souls. You can't personally save them, but as part of your good works, you can live a life demonstrating this is what the grace of God does to change a life. Because you don't know what I used to be like, but look what I'm like now. Not because of me, but because of him. That's our mission as we go out into these things. And we've got to be careful to stick with our mission because so many Christians are sidetracked. And they're sidetracked with good issues. That's the hard thing about it. They're sidetracked fighting things that shouldn't be out there when we ought to be first and foremost realizing those things won't change until the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrates hearts. You want to attack what's going on out there? You've got to attack it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If folks get saved and their hearts are changed, problems will change out there. But if we just go out there militantly screaming, yelling, and hating those who don't believe what we believe, we're not going to make a difference. We're going to mar the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
How do we handle those things? And again, it's hard for me as a citizen of the United States of America to take a step back and say, you mean I can't go after them like they're going after me? I have that right. As an American citizen, I may have that right. As a citizen of heaven, Paul says, remind them, this is the way they need to act and react. This is the way they move so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can change hearts. Where will you put your efforts over the next days? Things aren't going to get better out there in the near future. They're going to get worse. What that world needs is Jesus Christ and the demonstration of his grace and his power in your changed life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture. And Lord, as we look at this passage, it can be difficult, especially as an American. We've been brought up to fight for our rights, to to fight to get what we need to do. And Lord, we need to be good citizens. We ought to be voting. We ought to speak up for the truth. But how are we doing it? God, I pray that you'll remind us of the way that we ought to do that in love and in grace. And God, may we never forget that some of the most evil people that we deal with in our country, some of those who have just spurned your truth and walked in the other direction, what they need is not our advice. What they need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, help us to have the compassion of Jesus Christ who could look over the city of Jerusalem just before it got ready to crucify him and weep over them with compassion because they needed him. God, may we see our society in need of Jesus Christ and give us opportunities to share that this week. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.